Imperial Media presents The Brooke Taylor Show Encounter, Adventure, Evangelize And now your host, Brooke Taylor It has become tradition to welcome back our favorite Irish monk to the show Celebrating the Feast of St. Patrick I'm delighted for the second year in a row now To bring back our friend, Brother Richard Hendrick Straight from the beautiful Emerald Isle Welcome back to the show, Brother Richard It's good to be with you It's good to be with you Thank you for the, for the invitation back again Of course, I was just thinking about this Last year you joined us right as the walls were closing in at the start of the pandemic. And Indeed. I remember because we were talking about the cancellation, you there in Ireland, mm. here in the United States, us and all of the St. Patrick's Day parades shutting down. And I think that was one of the earliest global celebrations that really mm. impacted everyone around the world and then ushered in this time of quarantine. And so much has happened since then. So mm. today's show is dedicated to St. Patrick. We're going to talk about that. But I also want to talk about what happened around that time to you. You wrote a little <laughs> poem that mm. had very long legs and and yes, it was indeed. called Lockdown. It went hmm. viral. So tell us a little bit about that. It was really extraordinary to watch. It was just around that time, I think, either just before or just after we had spoken. But yeah, I have practiced poetry really as a as a, a kind of a prayer craft as part of my prayer for the last 20 years or so. Occasionally have put it up on the web and, and as sort of meditative reflections. And I was kind of felt moved or called to write a few lines around the whole lockdown as it was happening, but also really trying to stress to people the blessings that were present even in the midst of of this as we were looking uh, down the face of, of lockdown. So I wrote it and I went to bed and I forgot all about it. And I woke up the next morning to discover it had gone viral. It, it had been I think shared around about 25,000 times at that stage. It has gone everywhere. After a year, it has been translated into 28 languages, I think. Um, wow. There have been animations of it. There have been folk music versions of it. The University of Minnesota Choir has put a chorale together based on, on it. So, yeah, it's it sort of, you know, it's, it's like a little chick that you kind of let out of the nest and, and watch it fly off and, and do its thing. What's been funny, really, is, is the number of times it's been sent back to me as a poem that I might like. <laughs> where people were not aware that I was the one who had written it in the first place. So, yeah, it, it has done the rounds. It, it continues to come back to me in new and unusual ways. Probably the most interesting, the, the two most interesting ways, number one was a women's collective in India decided to do a version of it as a way of reflecting on their own experience as as women in that society. Uh, they, they did a, a musical version of it. And then the other one was, uh, probably the strangest of all, was a... Uh, a German rock folk dance version of it, which really has to be heard to be believed. But it's it's uh, it's a really interesting thing. So it has touched people. And I think what's been interesting for people as well is as a word of hope, maybe, and as a word of consolation, but also as they kind of looked into it, uh, the fact that it has come out of a Catholic response to a kind of a world experience has led a lot of people to maybe um, think a little more deeply about where a lot of, of grace can come from in these in these difficult days. It's really interesting, though, considering your patron. I was just thinking how pleased St. Francis would be <laughs> at that beautiful work of evangelization that really was just an outpouring of your charism, your faith, your gift of writing. But also something that my mom and I were talking about is this last year has been such a time of loss and grief. Mm. And she said for her, she said, my prayer now is resurrection, grace, is things. Sure. And we have a women's retreat coming up called Arise. And I feel the expectant hearts of the women women wanting to rise to something new. And I think you spoke of that also in lockdown. And I, I see that 
universal hunger, that yeah. uh, that depth of, of communion and connection. And that's really what I think you captured so beautifully. Yeah, well, I mean, I always say that a, a good poem isn't so much written as given. Um, and, and to some extent, it, it was one of those poems that sometimes you labor over these things for days and weeks, but that was one that just seemed to arrive and, and, and arrive wholesale on the page in front of me. It certainly had arisen from prayer and it had, it had arisen from, in the space of about 48 hours, I'd heard three very beautiful things. The first was the um, the people over in Assisi who were facing the, the, the lockdown of the city and they had decided that they were going to have concerts every night where they sang across the, the streets to each other, particularly to people who were alone. A young woman I knew who had qualified as a as a lawyer, she, she had just newly qualified and then I discovered she couldn't practice uh, because of the, the restrictions. So she had decided to set up a service along with some of her friends that would do things like grocery shopping or cleaning or just reaching out to the elderly. And the third was a hotel that had said, we have all this food in our stores, you know, we have no guests. So as long as we have the food in the stores, we will make up um, free meals for those who are in need. And those three things are very practical things. They're very heartfelt things. And, and they show really how grace can move in very ordinary circumstances, uh, can move us to an extraordinary response. So kind of threading those together, it, it became that, that little poem. And I think um, hopefully inspired people to say, yeah, OK, we're going through very, very difficult times, horrific times for so many people. But at the same time, the grace of God working in us uh, can do so much more than we can even ask or imagine, as St. Paul says. So it's to be open. It's to be open to those seeds of grace that, that are present all around us. And I think that is a Franciscan response, definitely, uh, to try yes. and, and uh, see the grace even in the midst of, of the difficulty. And speaking of faith and hope and virtue and writing, sure. I want to touch on uh, a very prolific piece that I think sometimes gets overlooked and forgotten. And that is the writing of St. Patrick and St. Patrick's Confession. And it is one of only two extant writings that we have of St. Patrick. So I I want to get into that as a focus sure. on today's show. What can you tell us for those that don't know about Confessio or Confession by St. Patrick? Well, I think first and foremost, the, the title sort of amazes people, um, but but to recognize that it's not so much a confession in the sense of a confession of fault or, or, or a confession, a sacramental confession. It, it's Confessio in the sense of a statement of witness. So just as we speak of the martyrs and the confessors, we mean those who confess Christ as being at the center of their lives. And during a particularly difficult period for Patrick towards the end, of his life, where his mission was being questioned uh, by a number of, of uh, British bishops who didn't like the methodology that, that he was using and who also were sort of doubting his uh, ability to continue to minister as a bishop, he set down in writing this confessio, uh, which gives a wonderful account of his early life, his conversion, call to evangelize the Irish. And also it gives us a kind of an insight into the mind and the soul of Patrick, into the way he lived his faith and also the way in which he embraced uh, the, the, the mission to the Irish uh, as, as something that wasn't just a job given, but was really a, a vocation in the fullest sense of the word, the, 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 the fulfillment of his own being in God through this particular mission and ministry. Let's explore that a little bit. I think it's mm. so important now because we are in a time where there is a spirit, I see, of tearing down. And so while I do think it is fun and maybe it's edifying that we we do talk about the lore and the myth of St. Patrick and driving out the snakes and so <laughs> much of the, the Irish identity is mm. linked to Patrick. But I also do think that it is important to stay true to the person of Patrick because that is, he is a saint truly. Mm. And if we can do that through 
through his own words, which are so moving in and of themselves, Mm. his perseverance, his fortitude, his hope, and his humility. And that's where I really Mm. want to start because that's where the opening line takes us. That sentence sets the tone. He writes, I, Patrick, a sinner, most unlearned, the least of all the faithful, and utterly despised by many. So right there, he's revealing himself to us, that humility, Mm. which throughout the text is very evident. What what it gives us is a glimpse into real humility. If we read it now, um, particularly reading it at, at such a distance of centuries, it can seem like, is this just a rhetorical device or is it some kind of dissemblance? But, but it's not. Uh, for Patrick, it arises out of a, a real acknowledgement and an understanding that everything that has been accomplished in him and through him has been accomplished by grace. The saints are the ones who, who protest themselves to be the greatest sinners. Uh, over and over again, we see this in the lives of all of the saints, you know, um, our, our, my own St. Francis uh, as, as an example of that. Really what's going on is is humility as truth. That, that word humility comes from humus, it comes from the earth. It's this idea of being earthed and grounded in what's real what's true. And so when we turn towards the light, one of the first things is we become aware of our darkness, we become aware of our brokenness, our fallenness, but not in a despairing way, in a, in a way that in which God enlightens us to know our need for him, but also to know his love for us. And I think that's where Patrick is coming from, is, is the recognition that God has worked wonders, has done extraordinary things. Later in the text, he'll go on to talk about the great gifts that have been nourished upon him and and upon uh, the the Irish people through him. But in that moment, he's recognizing a fundamental truth about all of us, which is we are broken people living in a fallen world, but it is a world that is in the process of redemption. It's, it's It's a world and a cosmos that is in the process of that great theotic revelation of Christ, whereby he, he takes everything to himself and raises it up as an offering to the Father. Uh, and again and again, the humility of, of Patrick is based in that very deep Trinitarian spirituality uh, that allows the human being to know itself as that it's most fully alive only when it is participating in the life of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want to come back to that. Also, what ties into that, what you just said, is prayer. In our last interview, you talked about, you referenced Patrick praying, and that in that moment, he has a vision of hearing a voice within, but he recognizes it's not his own voice. And as he looks within, he recognizes at that very foundation, the Spirit is praying. I think it's confession number 25. Mm. Then we see, we go on to see how he is, and I I pulled some quotes. In a single day, he writes, I have said as many as a hundred prayers, and in the night, nearly the same. I prayed in the woods and on the mountain, even before dawn. I felt no hurt from the snow or ice or rain. There's a few other examples of that too, but he was a contemplative. Uh, Absolutely. And we sometimes forget that his training you know, as as priest, what was a monastic training. Uh, so far as we know, in as far as sources are available to us, he trained probably in Gaul with with the, with the monastics there, and they were monastics. Uh, the Celtic form of monasticism at the time in Gaul had come from the deserts of Egypt. It, it was the the same so asceti- monastic asceticism. movement, absolutely. So what they were were working on was what they called the, the, the development of of apatheia, and and apatheia meant the holy quiet, the absolute stillness within, no matter what is going on outside, so as to be perfectly present to the presence of God who is within us. So just as St. Paul tells us that, you know, that it is the Spirit who, who prays within us, who prays within our spirit, the, the, the monastics of, of the Egyptian and Lebanese desert, and then laterally of Gaul, and then into the Celtic monasteries as well, what they were seeking for was, was this um, contemplative presencing uh, towards God. 
So just as we speak of the real presence, you know, the presence of Jesus in the, in the Eucharist, and we can speak of the various other uh, ways in which God reveals his presence, the sacramentality of creation or his presence in, in our brothers and sisters, we also uh, primarily need to discern the presence of God in our own hearts, at, at the heart of our being, where the Lord has that, that wonderful, unique way of, of calling us into our own vocation, into our own way of being. So Patrick had trained in, in all of this before coming on his mission. But even before his monastic vocation, as you mentioned there, as a young boy on the hills, when he was stolen and, and kept as a, as a slave for, for six years, it was in that time, really, out on the hills that, that he developed this awareness of the presence of God that led him to these hundred prayers. And people shouldn't get hung up on, on um, the number here at, at this stage. That, that is a, a, a kind of a rhetorical form of basically saying, I was praying all the time. So it's, it's not about counting off numbers or, or um, mathematical formulae here. It's Patrick saying really that there wasn't a moment in the day that wasn't a prayerful moment. At the same time, he was also led into the ascetic practices of both fasting and, and um, as you see there, vigiling, being out in all weathers. For some of that, he may not have had a choice as he was put up as a, as a herdsman on, on the mountains herding pigs. But he was a man consumed by the search for the presence of God within him. And that continued his entire life. And something else that ties into that beautifully and to underscore again, the ascetic life is fortitude. Confessio 61, I testify in truth and in great joy of the heart before God and his holy angels that I never had any other reason for returning to that nation from which I had earlier escaped except the gospel and God's promises. He so beautifully speaks into our era because too, and again, this is where I wanted to go back to what you mentioned about the Trinity and the triune God, is the deep divides that we're experiencing. And the mission field of Ireland during the fifth century was also deeply divided among these tribes. Many of them were at war with one another. Mm. And this is where Patrick's fortitude, his hope, his emphasis on the triune God is so effective in that we are all sinners. He stresses that I am foremost. And I think mm. that beauty brings us back to our own mission here and now. Absolutely. And, and I think one of the most important ways of, of being missionary that, that he shows us is this way of, of simple brotherhood, you know, of, of fraternity, of sisterhood in, in, in the case of women. Taking a brief break to thank our sponsor, Select International Tours. For 34 years, Select has been in the business of helping people dream, plan, and enjoy pilgrimage. Every detail of your trip is considered and addressed from the best in-country guides to top-tier hotels and, of course, daily mass and the best cuisine. You are in the best hands. And as tour leader, I can attest that the experience is above and beyond. In fact, the best parts are not even necessarily things you can bullet point on a brochure. An opportunity opportunity to have an encounter with Christ through holy experiences. Next June, Father John Michael Paul and I invite you to join us in Oberammergau, Germany, where we will experience jaw-dropping landscape, frescoed houses, and the world-famous Passion Play. Stops also include Munich, Lourdes, and Paris. And right now, in honor of Women's History Month, you can save $150 and Select will donate $50 in your name to Christian Women's Empowerment Programs in the Holy Land. Just mention Women's History when you sign up for your trip. You'll get that $150 off and $50 donated in your name to help Christian women in the Holy Land. Visit my page on the Select International website to reserve your spot for the trip of a lifetime. And right now, Select is giving you added peace of mind with their deposit guarantee. You won't lose your deposit if you need to change your plans more than 90 days before departure. Reserve your spot at Select International Tours. 
com. And now back to my conversation with Brother Richard Hendrick. It's this idea of recognizing that any human being I'm meeting, I, I meet primarily as, as an equal because that I'm a sinner and they're a sinner. So their sins might be different to mine and mine might be different to theirs. But the one thing we can both attest to is that if we look into our hearts, we will see a need for divine healing, a need for divine forgiveness, a need for for divine union. And so when Patrick approaches him this way, having already had the very early experience of the culture of Ireland as a young man having been taken away from his family, we, we see him arriving as a missionary who has an empathy for the people he is bringing the gospel to, a compassion for them. They have called out to him in his dreams in their need, asking him to pity them, you know, to pity their their, their need. And so it's out of that love, it's out of that compassion that he comes, uh, not in a patronizing way, but as as a way of of being with them so that what is good in them might be raised up and that what is, is negative or sinful in them might be cast out. And that's, I think, the great success of the evangelization of Patrick is that he begins by seeing the good in the people in front of him and raising that up. Um, you know, ever before he, he moves in with the, with the, the critical word or the, uh, the hurtful word. And in fact, that was one of the criticisms he came under from the British bishops who were coming much more from a uh, Roman perspective, Roman in the sense of the empire of Rome as opposed to the Roman church. Um, they were coming from a way in which uh, Christianity was something that was to be imposed from the top down from the emperor down, from the from the uh, civil authorities down, as opposed to the form of Christianity that Patrick brought, which was much more of a kind of a communitarian, collegial, monastic understanding. Now, it still had all of the the, the hierarchy, the church's hierarchy was there. He, he's very proud about um, the, the, the numbers of clergy and consecrated virgins and, and monastics that he leaves behind him. But Patrick, I think, had this, this greater ability to empathize with the people where they were at and to begin from there in, in the mode of evangelization that, that, he, that he brought. And, and really, within a generation, the Irish were converted. Yes, I pulled from Confession 37, another highlighted excerpt, and I get excited when this happens because I feel like it fits like a puzzle piece exactly into what you just said. Mm-hmm. And he said, there were those whom I offended, even against the wishes of some of my superiors, but with God guiding me, I did not consent or acquiesce to them. It was not by my own grace, but God who overcame it in me and resisted them all so that I could come to the peoples of Ireland to preach the gospel. I bore insults from unbelievers so that I would hear the hatred directed at me for traveling here. I bore persecutions, even chains, so that I could give up my freeborn state for the sake of others. If I be worthy, I am ready to give up even my life most willingly here for his name. It is there that I wish to spend my life until I die, if the Lord should grant it to me. So he was so convicted in the singularity of purpose. Uh, absolutely. His, his call was his life and his life was his call. For us to, to sort of um, understand that this young man who had been taken away from everything he knew, his life, his family, um, you know, his fairly wealthy status as a as son of a, of a uh, Roman civil servant who was also a, a deacon in the church, taken away to, to, to penury, to, to, to slavery, etc. And yet to want to return because God had reached out to him through the hearts of of the Irish. He has this extraordinary vision of of um, uh, what's often said to be the guardian angel of Ireland. You know, the Torius or Victorinus, who, who speaks to him on behalf of the Irish and hands him this bundle of letters. 
that he's to to read each each of the letters um, asking him to come and and to to bring um, salvation to the to to the Irish to bring the light of of the gospel to the Irish and that stays with Patrick his whole life even when he's training in Gaul even when again and again he asks to go on mission and he's told no a, a completely different mission is set up with a much more Roman bent to it uh, under Palladius Palladius comes and and really makes as far as we know, no real impression on, on the Irish. In fact, he dies on, on the mission and the mission is, is let go for a while. The other thing to recognise as well is that as far as the Romans were concerned, the Irish were unsalvageable. They, they were absolute barbarians. Uh, they were the people at the ends of the earth, considered a wild people. Um, and, and as a result, there wasn't really much interest in, in sort of bringing... Uh, the, fruit, the, the fruits of Roman civilization, which would have included Christianity at that time to them. So for Patrick to go and to continue to insist that this was his mission no matter what, even when it looked like he might never actually be allowed to fulfill the mission, shows a tremendous perseverance and a trust in the providence of God. It, it reminds us of that very important truth that we all need to hold on to, which is that if God calls... God includes in the call every grace necessary for the call. And so we can rely on his providence and trust in his providence that, that if, if we are called to whatever our state is in life or whatever our vocation is, then we can be sure that at least in seed form, the grace for that call is present within. That is so key, even if we are not fully equipped, because that's something else he says. He confesses to, again, struggling about the language. He said, I blush and I am afraid to expose my lack of experience because I cannot express myself with the brief words I would like in my heart and soul. But yet he's grateful and joyous at what the Father has done so he doesn't mm. hold back. And what a lesson for us. I know that we're getting tight on time, okay. but we touched on we touched on Patrick's humility, his fortitude, his prayer life, and that brings us to the virtue of hope. And you see in his writing that this is indeed a supernatural grace because on its face, you just talked about the Irish people, it seems, were a lost cause. It looks like an epic Lord of the Rings style battle of <laughs> darkness that but you mm. can see here it's not based on blind arrogance or incredible intellect and cunning, he has the supernatural grace and virtue of hope. And Confession 39, he says, it is there that I await his promise. He is the one who never deceives, as is repeated in the gospel. They will come from the east, from the west, and they will lie down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We believe that believing people will come from all over the world. So that hope is clearly evident. Absolutely. What goes along with that hope, the way we practice that hope is surrender. It's, it's surrender to, to the providence of, of God, such that all that is asked of us is fidelity. I think it was Mother Teresa, St. Teresa of Calcutta, who said, all he asks of us is our faithfulness, not our success. We're, we're promised that, that if we are faithful, we will conquer. But he says nothing about success. Uh, success comes from, from, from God alone. Um, and and it's, it's he who prospers the mission, whatever our mission might be. And we see this again and again in Patrick. I mean, as we go through the Confessio, it's, there's almost a litany of, um, of difficulties, of problems that he has gone through along the way. To say nothing of his other, his other writing, the letter to Caroticus, which is about a, a whole group of, of Christians um, who, just the day after they'd been baptized and confirmed, were sold off into slavery. So Patrick sees himself building. Yes, he's, he's a bishop and he's building the church. But he also realizes that unless the foundation is Christ, the building is not going to, not going to survive. And also it is up to Christ to make the building survive. All he is called to do is to do his best, to, to, to hope in God, to trust in, in, in the, the one who prays within him, who lives within him, who is the power in the very heart of his soul. But then after that, to, to leave everything to the Lord. 
and that's what he does. And he even finishes to his brother bishops, um, really sort of signing off almost as though, you know, this is all I'm going to say about that. I am now finished with, 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 the, with the argument, you know, let it be God who judges both of us. I'm going to put you on the spot. We celebrate St. Patrick's Day and we wear green or we have a shamrock shake here in the States or we go to a parade and those things are wonderful. But for Catholics, as I take into consideration all that we've discussed today and through rereading and falling in love again with confession, I just think what creative missionary work or prayer or penance could I do, could we all do, that would maybe honor Patrick more? I, I think above all, if we're going to follow his example, we will be people of prayer. Above all, we'll be people of prayer. And I think really taking time to read the riches, not just of Patrick, but of, of that, that entire patristic tradition that trains us and teaches us in the ways of presencing to the one who is already present to us, of, of recognizing that the Lord uh, is with us, you know, that, that he comes to us as Emmanuel, as the one who is with us, as, as uh, Jesus teaches in the Gospel of Matthew when he's teaching about prayer. Your Father who is in secret, who is already there in you, with you, present to you, that when we go into our inner room, into the, the room of the heart, that is who we encounter. St. Teresa of Avila famously said that the the beginner in prayer most often makes the mistake of thinking, when I am good enough, God will enter in. And she says, that's like someone who stands at the window waiting for their best friend to arrive when all the time their best friend is sitting behind them in the kitchen waiting for them. So what we need to recognize is that it's not when we are good enough. It is in our brokenness that God is with us. And then he raises, uh, raises us up from our brokenness. That's what Patrick teaches again and again. So maybe to deepen our prayer a little. I think secondly, Let's look at Patrick. Where did he find God? He found him out on the mountains, out in the hills, with the ordinary people in, in, in the most tragic and painful circumstances of his life. So we need to cultivate a reflective capacity that looks at beauty and mounts to the, to the, the, the origin of all beauty. He finishes in the Confessio speaking of those who worshipped the sun, S-U-N, but who now worship the sun, S-O-N. You know, and that's, that was his mission. His mission was he brought them from recognizing that there was divinity, that there was divine. Uh, the, the Irish recognized that and they sought the divine in nature. And what Patrick said was, yes, absolutely, God speaks to you through nature, but God is also beyond nature. And so I think one of the things we can do is, is to use our definitively Christian and orthodox tradition of recognizing that God is present in his creation, but God calls us beyond and through the joys and beauty of creation by contemplating it to recognize the one from whom it all comes. Let, let's move from, from the sun, S-U-N, to the sun over and o over again. The final thing I'd say is if you want the most basic, simple way of really deepening our awareness of the Trinity, we have it in the sign of the cross. There used to be beautiful customs, an Irish custom called the blessing of the hour, which was that as soon as we heard the church bell ring or uh, the clock ring to say that an hour had, had, had passed, we would just solemnly and quietly make a deliberate sign of the cross. And it was a reminder that no matter what was going to come in the next hour or what we were leaving behind from the last hour, we were coming from the presence, going to the presence. And maybe that's a good way of just reminding ourselves of the, the Trinitarian depth of Patrick in these days. I remember reading a book to my kids talking about the, the Psalms and teach us to number our mm. days and how a clock has a tongue and the tongue speaks to us when it strikes. Remember thou art mortal. And yeah. what a beautiful way to mark those hours with the mm. sign of the cross. For those that haven't yet connected with you, what's the best way to reach you online? They can. I have a blog. They can They can follow me on that, which is, is just, uh, if they look at Brother Richard's blog, they'll find that straight away. I'm also on Facebook and Instagram 
under Brother Richard. And uh, just to say, uh, because I get inundated with messages, I'm still trying to work through the mails and messages that, that have come in over the over the, the last year. So if there's any kind of a delay, please don't think I'm avoiding you or insulting you or ignoring you. I'm just working my way slowly through the email mountain. So thank you for that. And I will also link up Lockdown for those that haven't heard it yet. Oh, thank you. I guess I just have to pick which one, the musical, the animated short, <laughs> your original. I leave that to you. I leave that to you. Okay. That's fine. Thank, Thank you. you God much. bless you. Happy St. Patrick's Day. God bless Day. and have a happy St. Patrick's Day to you and to all your listeners. Thank you again to Brother Richard Hendrick, one of my all-time favorite guests. And also what I'll do in the show notes is link up confessions. You can find the Confession of St. Patrick translated and free to download from a number of different entities online. Also on YouTube if you prefer the audio version. So if you do a quick search, you can find that it's so worth not only reading, processing, meditating on, but also also sharing with your friends and family. Again, what a great way to celebrate the Feast of St. Patrick. God bless you. St. Patrick, pray for us. Until next time, peace and love.